We come this morning to our final sermon in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John has 21 chapters. It has uh, 879 verses. It has 15,635 words. I looked it up. Counted it. And this is our last sermon in John. And I went back and counted. I have preached 56 sermons in John over the times we've been through it. Um, but it easily could have been more. It could have been hundreds of sermons because there's just so much here. The Gospel of John was the last of the four Gospels to be written. You've heard it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's the last one to be written. And John was the last living apostle of those original 12. And he sat down near the end of his life and put pen to paper. And he wrote his Gospel so that after he passed, people who were in the church would hear the exact same things that the earliest Christians did. What Gospel of John is, is essentially a record of what he had spent his life preaching. That's what it is. And I can imagine him sitting down as an old man to write this Gospel out, and he gets to the end of it, and he stops, and he's thinking back at what he's written. He's thinking about what he's lived, and all that he had seen Jesus do. All that he had seen Jesus do and heard Jesus teach in his time on earth, and as the church had grown and spread, he thinks about what Jesus is going to continue to do after he's gone, as he continues to shine the light of his grace into our darkness. And John realizes that even though he has written these 15,635 words, that he has only scratched the surface. He has only scratched the surface of what Jesus who Jesus is. And so he ends his gospel with this verse, John 21, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the gospel of John. As we have heard from it, as your Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see you in it, and I pray, Lord, as we are on this last uh, uh, sermon in the Gospel of John, that you would do that yet again. As we look into the treasures of your word, show us Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I don't know if you ever saw the show, and I'm not saying you should, but on HBO they had a, a show called True Detective, and it did three seasons. In the very first season, there's a, a character who despises religion of all types. He's a detective, he's jaded, he's seen way too many pastors and religious leaders revealed to be charlatans that are using other people. He despises religion, and uh, he's seen them use the power of their God talk to take advantage of others. And he says this, It's been that way since one monkey looked at the sun and told the other monkey, he said for you to give me your share. That's his entire understanding of what religion in all its forms is. Now I take this seriously. I take this seriously because so often that is exactly what religion has been. There are so many stories of religious leaders and pastors using God talk as a tool to manipulate other people. 
There's leaders that have told folks that God wants you to terrorize or even kill other people. That's what God wants. Go do that. There's leaders that have told people that uh, God will give them everything that they want if they only send me a monthly payment of this amount of money. <laughs> God will bless you if you send me some cash. And there's tons of stories of leaders who harm and abuse. What makes Jesus any different? What makes Jesus any different? What makes John, who wrote this gospel, any different, or you or me? That's what we're talking about today. How can we have any confidence that our God talk is anything more than wishful thinking or, at worst, a tool to use to manipulate other people? How can we say that we know God? So our first section, I'm going to break it up into a couple of them this morning, is this. God has made himself known. God has made himself known. How do we know things as human beings? I don't know if you've stepped back and ever thought about this, but what are the mechanisms? How do we know things? Well, usually it's through our senses. Taste, touch, smell. The other two that are not coming to mind right now. <laughs> Brain just... But right... We know that cinnamon rolls smell like they taste good because we've smelled them and tasted them before and smell and taste are connected to each other. So we smell cinnamon rolls and we're like, I know that those are delicious. We know that sandpaper is rough to touch. We know that silk is very soft because we've touched those things before. And the things that we haven't directly experienced, we can know because somebody else has experienced them and they've told us about it. I mean, that's the essence of what science is. Whether that science be philosophy or biology or sociology or whichever, we observe, we experience, and then we des describe it. Right? And that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's the discovery that it, it lays at the root of our world. It's great. But knowing God is a completely different kind of thing because God is not just a thing among other things. He's not even the best thing among other things. He's, he's beyond our ability to describe. He's transcendent. He's the creator. We're his creation. We can't know him like we know other things. And we certainly can't use our words to adequately describe him. Our words are going to fall short. In light of this, how can we truly say that we know God? How can we say we know God? Well, it's because God has made himself known. It's not a matter of us pulling God into view and us observing and describing and making up words to describe what we see or hear or touch or smell. We can know God because he, in a unique way, has made himself known. So that we aren't left in darkness, in the darkness of our own guesswork or the whims of religious leaders and their God talk. Now, there's a number of ways that God makes himself known to us. And it all centers in, it all zeroes in, it all leads to the ultimate revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. All of our knowledge of who God is comes back to Him and is defined and refined by Him. That's what it means when we talk about Jesus as the Word of God. Jesus is the communication, in a sense, that God gives about who He is. Jesus is the Word. And when Jesus arrived in this world, 
the account of which we've just walked through in the Gospel of John, Jesus didn't just have words about God. He's the eternal Son of God. So his words about God were insider knowledge. It wasn't guesswork. He was speaking with insider knowledge, not guesswork. His actions were the actions of God. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has shined his light into the darkness of our world. And by the work of his Holy Spirit, this revelation of who Jesus is becomes ours. Now, the Holy Spirit uses a number of different ways to make them that happen. And all of them are examples of God stooping down. It's God condescending in a sense, taking the ordinary things of our world and setting them apart to communicate the extraordinary nature of who he is. This motion of God taking the ordinary and using that as an instrument, as a means to make his extraordinary grace known. Think of it like a mom and her baby. So you've got a little brand new baby, right? And the baby does not understand language like an adult. The mom started speaking like she does to her friend. The baby would just be completely clueless about what's going on. He does not understand, cannot process the words. So how does a mom interact with her baby in a way he can understand? She could say, baby, I love you. And he's, he's just hearing noises, <laughs> at least at first. How can she communicate to the baby that he's loved and cared for? Well, she holds the baby, right? He can feel touch. She feeds the baby. She speaks to her baby, yes, but it's not like she's speaking to another adult. She inflects her voice. We all do it when we talk to a kid or even a puppy. Like, hey, how are you? We're communicating by how we say things, too, not just the words we say. She simplifies her words. And in all of this, the baby is being communicated to in a way he can understand. The mom is communicating in all of these things, whether she knows it or not, that he's cared for and loved. In the same way, God communicates to us. So think about something like baptism or the Lord's Supper that we use, uh, that we celebrate every single week. In baptism, God uses very ordinary water. Very ordinary water to sprinkle us clean, to communicate that he washes us. In the Lord's Supper, God takes very ordinary bread and wine or grape juice, and He uses those profoundly ordinary things to communicate His extraordinary grace, to teach us that He nourishes us on Himself, that He sacrifices Himself for us, that we're nourished by faith. Or think about the community of other believers in the church, or at least this is how it ought to be. God takes very ordinary people, us, God takes very ordinary people and he changes us to be the body of Christ. Apostle Paul talks about that. We become the body of Christ for each other. We embody or are called to embody the love of Jesus for each other. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus shows his care for us through us. So in a real sense, though, when we embrace each other, when we shake hands, when we look each other in the eye, it is God using us very ordinary people to communicate His extraordinary grace. And the primary way that God speaks to us, the primary way that God speaks to us is Scripture. It's the Bible, God's holy word. 
God uses the limitations of human language to communicate to us. Ordinary human language that is set apart by God to be the instrument of his extraordinary grace. God in scripture has spoken and spoken truly and he continues to speak. And that's why we can also call scripture the word of God. Jesus is the word and scripture is that God ordained, God inspired, God breathed testimony to who Jesus is. So when we pick up our Bibles, we're holding a collection of 66 books that were written off uh, uh, from a span of 1,500 years by four, at least 40 different authors in different circumstances. And God uses the uniqueness of their personalities, their style, their experiences to join them together as one, like the instruments of an orchestra, the different sounds and notes that are playing together to make one beautiful song, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus in its longing and the promises that are given in the cliffhangers, because the Old Testament is one long cliffhanger. Every book ends with the things that it's talking about unresolved. It's all pointing forward. And all the New Testament looks back to the arrival of Jesus, to his life, death, and resurrection. But that, Jesus himself, is the storyline of Scripture. So we can know God because he's made himself known. He's made himself known in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He makes himself known in the community of the church and primarily through the instrument of Holy Scripture. So let's unpack that actually a little bit more, what that means for us, specifically our relationship to Scripture. This is my second section. Scripture is unique. And Scripture is central. Scripture is unique. And scripture is central. So first, Scripture is unique. That's why we don't stand up here and I've got a different book every Sunday. I read a lot, but church is not a book club. I mean, we could have a book clubs are not a bad thing. <laughs> but when we gather for worship on a Sunday morning, it is not let's share the, the last really great book we read. It's because Scripture is unique. Our sermons are always coming from Scripture. Our call to worship, our assurance of pardon is always coming from Scripture. Our benediction at the end of our service will always be Scripture. Why? Because you guys don't need to hear my words. I've got lots of words, and I can say all kinds of things and really mean them, but you need to hear God's words because He can not only speak, but He acts. Scripture is utterly unique. And church is where God meets us. And he makes himself known to us speaking through the scriptures. Church should never be some guy telling you that he has heard a message from God and you need to listen to him. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've been to a church where a pastor says, I've received a revelation from God and he's telling you to do this. Church should never be that. You have somebody tell you they've got a prophecy that you need to do this or that, and your relationship with God is dependent on you responding to the words that I just said. Beware of that leader. Watch out for them. God may lead us in lots of different ways. He, move, he may move upon our hearts to open our eyes to see ways that we can serve and love others well. We may feel that he's guiding us to give to this cause or use 
his wisdom to make this decision. But I cannot turn to you, even as a pastor ordained and called to this ministry, I cannot tell you something like, uh, well, God told me to tell you, give me all your money. I can't do that. I don't have that kind of authority. Now, that doesn't mean we can't encourage or even challenge each other. But it does mean that our encouragement of one another, our challenge to one another, has to be undergirded by Scripture. Has to. Has to be backed up either by something Scripture says directly or something that is deduced from what Scripture says. Here's what I mean. Let's say that you're married and you start to have romantic feelings for someone else that's not your spouse. And it feels good. It feels maybe even right. You may even have a peace about it in your heart. But I can tell you that that is wrong. Not because I think it's wrong. I can have all kinds of opinions. Not because I have mastery over you and control your life, but because God is clear in Scripture. I know people, I know stories and situations of folks who met somebody, they were already married, they met somebody and they said, God wants me to be with this person. God wants me to break up my family to go be with this person. They feel inside peace about it. They feel good about it. It feels right. But I can tell you, we could challenge one another in a situation, say that, and say, no, that's not the pathway of wisdom. That's not the pathway God's leading you to. Um, because Scripture's clear. Not my opinion. Or another example. Scripture never says a word about racism or white supremacy or anything. It never says a single word about the topic. The con it's because the concept of race, as we think about it, wasn't invented until a couple hundred years ago. But Scripture is profoundly clear that all people are created in the image and likeness of God with inherent dignity and worth. And that words and actions and emotions that disdain or spew hatred on others is wrong. And so I can tell you on the authority of God's word, not my own authority, that white supremacy or racism is wrong. I can tell you that even though the sentence racism is a sin is not found in scripture. I can tell you it's wrong because it certainly is spilling out from what Scripture teaches. So, Scripture is unique. Scripture is unique. And because it is uniquely God's communication, Scripture is central. Scripture is central. If I told you that God spoke to me and just me, that would mean that your relationship with God is dependent on your relationship with me. And that would be a dangerous and terrible thing. I would become the centerpiece of how you think about God. But the reality of Scripture makes that an impossible thing. God has spoken in Scripture in a unique and authoritative way. And it's not something that I can hide away or manipulate or control. Because Scripture, and this is a beautiful thing, Scripture is a public book. I don't have it squared away in a safe and I pull it out on Sundays and say what well, says this and then put it back. Scripture is a public book. It belongs to all of us. It belongs to all of us. It's available to all of us. 
We listen and we wrestle with its wisdom together. That doesn't mean that Scripture is the only thing we read or the only place we look for knowledge and wisdom. The Bible is not an encyclopedia that lists every true thing that human beings have ever known. That's not what it is. So it's not the only place we look for wisdom or knowledge. But it does mean that Scripture is the authority that helps guide our understanding of everything else. Part of our goal in the Christian life is to interpret everything in light of what Scripture teaches. It's, it's wearing the Bible uh, like spectacles that serve as our lens for everything else. It makes me think, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Arrival. Anybody, a- Amy Adams' movie came out a couple years ago. All right, well, now this is awkward. Um, no, <laughs> it was a sci-fi movie. I'm not going to get too deep in, and I'm not going to spoil it. It is a good film. Um, but in the, in, in, the, in the movie, these alien ships suddenly arrive on Earth. And the aliens don't disembark. They just are hanging out all over the Earth. And the governments of Earth cannot figure out what's going on. They can't figure out what these aliens want. They're worried. Some think, like, oh, they've come to give us a gift. Some other people think, oh, they've come to invade. So they're trying to figure it out. Well, the American government calls on this professor of languages to try and go and communicate with the aliens, even though they don't share a language, to do the work of figuring out, okay, can we figure out ways to talk to each other? And I'm not going to give away the whole film, but what happens is that this professor, who's played by Amy Adams, She finally understands the alien's language. And when she does, when it clicks, her perception of time literally changes. The idea is that these aliens are fundamentally different kind of beings and that the language that they teach her changes the way her mind works in a very real sense. Like when they can finally communicate, she gains insight that they have that she did not before just by learning their language. I know that sounds weird, but Scripture can work the exact same kind of way. Not because we're learning a new alien language. If you pick up your Bible, it's going to be in English, and that's for good reason. When it was originally written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, that was the common language. When the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek, because that was the common language, not because it was some uh, incredibly holy, heavenly language. These were the common languages of the day. So we're not going to pick up and learn this alien language. But it's like this movie in the sense that our encounter with Scripture is never just us reading a book like any other book. God speaking through Scripture means that our encounter with Scripture is an encounter with Him. And as we encounter Him, our hearts and our minds are changed. The way we see the world is changed. The things we value change. The way we live our lives change. Because in that encounter with God, He is changing us. And that leads me to my last section. The story continues. The story continues. I think one of the reasons that John ended his gospel with this verse, where he sits back and says, well, Jesus did many other things, and if I wrote them all down, there would not be room in the entire world for the books. One of the reasons I think he ends this way is because John wants to offer to us an invitation to see that Jesus is not finished, that he is continuing to work, that he's continuing, in a sense, to write the story of his redemption for us. 
And he will continue to write until the redemption that he has won reaches as far as the curse of sin is found and all things are made new. There's a danger when we pick up Scripture that we treat it like just a great story to admire. That we pick it up and we treat it almost like the, the Marvel movies. I was a big fan of the first 14 and they, all those first 14 movies led up to those Avengers in game, like it all tied together as one storyline and it met finally in these movies. And I watched it and I admired, I said, wow, look how the authors made, you know, the guys who wrote these movies, they, this thing is referring back to the second movie. It, it was all inter, you know, tied together and it was a great story to watch. And I came away from it and I was inspired and I was like, this is great. But you know, it had nothing to do with me. It was a good story to hear. It was a good story to watch. But at the end of the day, it had absolutely nothing to do with me. It was something good to see. God makes himself known to us so that we will be swept up into this story of redemption. Not so we will just look at Scripture and be impressed at how it's laid out. Not so we will read through the Old Testament and be impressed at how it points to Jesus. Or so we can look at something like the Gospel of John and be amazed at the, uh, the, the, the authorship and the things that he did telling, uh, weaving all the stories together. No. Because knowledge of God isn't just showing us a cool story. It's not just a revelation of facts to know. As Jesus himself said in John 17, to know God is to have eternal life. That's because God is the source of life. And when he makes himself known to us, he doesn't just give us true information about himself. God gives us himself. God gives us him. And his story becomes our story. So I want to leave this morning, this long reflection with an invitation. I've spoken mostly about hearing God through Scripture, so my encouragement to all of us is to prioritize Scripture. Prioritize reading it. Prioritize meditating on its truth. Because it's unique and it's central. Wrestle with it. A great way to do that is um, the, the Psalms devotional on the back table there. It's very short, but in it, you are going to be encountering daily God's Word. And as God encounters us in His Word, He transforms us. So prioritize Scripture. It's unique and central, and it's given to us by God so that we would know Him. And remember, we also encounter God in places that He's told us to find Him. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, God is meeting with us. He is nourishing us by faith. It's why people are baptized when they come into the church. And remember the promises spoken over us in our baptism that we are washed and in Jesus God is well pleased with us. So if you've never been baptized, the offer is there. That action speaks through the water a profound word of promise to you. It's why, this is why we prioritize being together for worship and why I often pray that God will strengthen the relationships and the friendships in our church because in a very real sense, as I spoke earlier, we are the body of Christ 
And God often uses us as the means of communicating His grace to one another. So friends, open your ears to hear. Open your mouths to eat and drink. Open your arms and your hearts and your homes to one another. And know that as we do this, we will find our God with us, strengthening, sustaining, teaching, and nourishing us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've not left, left us in the dark about who you are, but that you have shown yourself to us in Scripture, that you show yourself to us in the sacraments, that you show yourself to us in one another. So I pray that you would give us eyes and ears and senses of faith to know this is true, to discern you there, that you would move by your Holy Spirit to confirm to us the truth and the promises that you've made to us and to seal to us that reality, that our confidence would be in you and not ourselves. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.